Welcome to the Redshirt Collective, a Star Trek watch-along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation from a radical leftist perspective. So energized with Earl Grey tea and chocolate from The Replicator, set your phasers to fun, and prepare to engage. Ready, Captain? Yes, Captain. Make, Make it, it so. Welcome aboard. Hey, Nick. Hey, Mike. So uh, I'm really curious what we're talking about today. Oh, today we've got just a fun, light episode. Have you ever heard of anything better? No. Season one, episode 10, Haven, the Mm. one in which Deanna almost gets married. Ah, yes. Okay. I tried to think of funnier titles, but honestly, that's what happened. Uh, We could go with a backup (laughs) title of written by and for heteros. <laughs> that is very accurate. It was like one of those episodes where you're like, are the straights okay? Like, yeah. <laughs> to check up on them. <laughs> the straights are not okay. Uh, my alternate title, too, was the one in which Data loves mess, but I didn't want to decenter Deanna from the uh, title. Yeah. So, yeah. Gotta represent. Deanna's so great. And, you know, in this episode, it's just a little bit embarrassing how, like, the whole episode was written around the possibility of her being naked. <laughs> I didn't right? even really think of it that way. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, poor Seeing Deanna. her out of one of those uh, jumpsuits. Yeah, I think they gave Tasha Yar a break from being, from being overtly like just the, you know, the heartthrob and uh, Deanna had her turn. Well, you know, equality, feminism. <laughs> This is where feminism had reached by 1988. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Dark times, dark times. Dark times. All right. Well, we join the Enterprise on its way to the Class M Cassius planet known simply as Haven, a beautiful world rumored to have healing properties to get a little R&R. Such a beautiful world, Captain Jean-Luc Picard intones dramatically while gazing at the view screen. Legends say it has been known to mend souls and heal broken hearts. (laughs) Legends, which are totally unsupported by fact, Captain, retorts Data. Beginning his career is my favorite in an episode of All Stores, though not our sweet baby boy, Wesley, who is sadly lacking from this episode. That's true. But Data really, he he comes on strong. He picked up all the slack. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Picard replies, legends like that are the spice of the universe, Mr. Data, (laughs) because they have a way of sometimes coming true. I had to write this entire exchange because I was like, this is amazing. And with this exchange, we know we're in for an enjoyable episode. And it really is. It really is. It's just delightful. Mm -hmm. Commander Will Riker has his weird, creepy hologram heart player leering time interrupted by a call from security officer Tashi R, who says he is needed in transporter room one. Mm-hmm. In the transporter room, Haven beams over, hums solo. <laughs> <laughs> if you have not oh yet watched God. the if you have not yet watched the episode, you will not understand exactly why I'm just losing my shit over here. <laughs> Okay, first of all, this is a hilarious 
happenstance because I had initially put this character's name as Mr. Han because I thought that's what it was. Mm -hmm. And then later when I had the subtitles on, I saw it was like Hum. Mm -hmm. So I did a find replace. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why we have Hum solos. Anyway. I'm sorry to the audience because this isn't funny for you, but like it's just so funny what's happened in the script that we're looking at. It's very period appropriate, though. <laughs> it is. Yes, because. Okay. It, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Now Ooh, they will get to right. see why we're laughing so hard. <laughs> Haven beams over Han Solo's carbonite frozen head, <laughs> which springs to life when ship's counselor Deanna Troy walks into the room, announcing that looks looks. I cannot say her her name. I was just I'm gonna like, say Luxana. I know that's not exactly right. I, I was just I like, thank God it's, it's you and not me. Because yeah, Luxana. It's like Maybe I'll try to do it. Luxana. Okay. Troy. All right. So announcing that Luxana Troy and the Miller family will soon arrive, and then bursts open with a bunch of jewels, to which Deanna bursts into tears explaining that these are essentially a wedding present for her prearranged marriage. Mm-hmm. We meet up with Troy telling Riker and Picard that she has never thought that the marriage would actually happen, but that she has been genetically bonded to the son of her father's closest friend. Riker points out that her father was human and that the Millers are human, but this seemingly makes no difference to Troy's sense of half Betazoid duty. Also, I saw from the subtitles it's like Beta Z. I've always said Betazoid. I, so I, I think I've always said it wrong. I thought beta Z was the plural. Oh, maybe. But I could be wrong, but I noticed that in the subtitles too. And in my notes, I kept writing beta Zoid and then like for singular and for plural. And then I switched over at some point to beta Z because they kept saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're just going to be bad truckies and go with whatever, mm-hmm, <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. I have written. Whatever's down. written is what we're saying. Oh, Deanna confirms for Picard that this marriage will mean that she must leave the ship, and Picard looks saddened by the news, but he warmly congratulates her and then abruptly leaves the room, as this is more emotion than he's shown in all of the previous episodes combined. Mm. Will, being so extra, dramatically leans against a wall. I have a picture to show you later. Pouting. Okay. Okay. Deanna states that Will wants more than anything in the world to be a starship captain, to which he replies, that's not all I want, Deanna, insinuating that he also wants her. She says she can feel that from him, and she knows he cares within those limits. Ooh, sick burn. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, and this episode is very validating for me because I've always been so frustrated by their relationship and, like, what the fuck is going on with you two? Um, which I was telling Mike before we started recording, having watched the whole series over again and now knowing like what had happened between them, I just feel like Riker is such an asshole in this episode. I can't even believe it, but I don't want to like spoil it for anyone who is watching for the first time. But anyway, just know he's being ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, this is very validating because I'm like everything they all of their conversations are just so weird. And you're like, am I missing something? Like, what are you two talking about? Yeah, it becomes apparent later in the episode that Riker is classically behaving like a child and Deanna is <laughs> behaving like the only adult in that relationship. <laughs> like, yes. capable of seeing nuance, for example. 
very, very accurate. All right. <clears throat> Where was I? Will is still having a hard time with the whole thing and says that he'll try when she asks him to come dance at her wedding and then dramatically leaves the room. <laughs> and Deanna is called down to the transporter room where her soon-to-be in-laws are beaming in. There are a couple great pouting scenes in this. Yes, he's so pouty. And he also does the most overly exaggerated turning on his heel mm-hmm. that we I've ever seen in my life from mm-hmm. any actor. Mm-hmm. Like the last episode when he was evil for like three seconds the way he spun around and walked off the bridge was so extra (laughs) it's just so funny like like uh what's his name (sighs) jonathan frakes i was blanking on his name but the actor just like has this way of kind of almost flinging himself around when he's trying to have big emotion and i know he has back problems and that's probably part of it but i also think he just you know, he's sort of from that, like, I think original series seems to have influenced his acting style. Yeah, you're right. His his motions are pretty, like, over the top. They're very jerky and, like, exaggerated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he just seems to think that's how you, you know, show emotion. That's what you do. I literally couldn't get over him in this episode. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> The Millers are impressed by grown-up Deanna since they haven't seen her since she was little, but she senses surprise in Wyatt Miller, the man she is to marry. Deanna warns Picard that her mother is a little eccentric just before she beams aboard with her valet, Mr. Hum. Luoxana Troy communicates telepathically with Deanna and then saunters over to Picard, guessing that he's the captain of the ship because who else would they send to greet her? (laughs) And then tells Picard to carry her luggage, which for some reason he readily agrees to do. We get a deliciously comical scene of Picard struggling to carry Luxana's seemingly extremely heavy suitcase. So funny. Until Deanna throws a fit and commands Mr. Hum, played by, I don't know how to say this actor's name, I'm going to do my best shot, Karel Strukian, um, who you may not recognized by name i certainly wouldn't but he's the guy who played lurch in the adams family oh and he's been in like he literally is still acting today i looked him up on imdb he was born in 1948 like he has a a movie came out or is coming out this year um and he's been in like every fucking movie and every tv show you can imagine he's got just an amazing uh resume but anyway, for those who don't still don't know who I'm talking about, this man is extremely tall mm-hmm. and bald and looks, you know, just like a big, very strong guy. So it's very funny when he comically picks up the bag as if it weighs nothing and <laughs> walks off with it to Picard's relief. Loaxana trash talks the Millers incessantly to Picard in the lift until Deanna yells at her telepathically to stop, making her mother happy that this is something she can still do. Picard drops them off in a room, looks Anna deems small but adequate, and we get a very interesting scene between her and Deanna where Deanna reveals that she has let her telepathic powers get rusty in order to cope with life among humans who constantly think one thing and say another. Sorry, Deanna. I, know. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, sorry. I mean, fair. Yep. <laughs> I wouldn't want to deal with that either. Yep. 
From Luxana, we learned that Betazoids, or Betazed, I don't know, <laughs> have a culture of complete honesty for this exact reason, and that their brutal honesty seems to frighten humans. Luxana then apologizes to Deanna for the sudden wedding. I don't understand why no one just called Deanna ahead of time, why she was just suddenly shocked with her wedding gift. By Han Solo. frozen only his head though just his head um saying that it was mr miller that insisted on moving forward with it deanna expresses difficulty in the pre-arranged marriage but says she will continue with it anyway picard pings haven's leadership and finds out that they coincidentally actually need the enterprise's help A ship has bypassed their Stargate and is refusing to respond to any of their messages, which Haven is interpreting as hostile. They have no defenses and call on the Enterprise to intercede as part of their Federation duties. Picard agrees to this. Deanna goes to Wyatt's room to apologize for her mother's behavior and to get to know him a little. She finds out Wyatt is a doctor, and she thinks that they could read each other eventually, which is something that she has only felt once before with Will fucking Riker, of all people. (laughs) (laughs) I just, anyway. Um, Wyatt says what he wants most in the world is to cure people, and Deanna very cutely suggests that as a practicing psychologist, perhaps they could work in concert towards that goal. Mm -hmm. I ship it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I would have been really happy to see Deanna, you know, decide, wow, like, why am why am I interested in Riker? Like this, this guy is like, you know, he's pretty cool. Yeah, I would have loved that, too. He's like way more secure in himself. He like has a cool job. Mm-hmm. He wants to help people. He has a nuanced understanding of love and relationships. Yes. Even yeah. though he's human as well. Yeah, he's he just human. like seems to get it more. Yeah. I agree. Riker. <clears throat> <laughs> I always say that Riker is a tragic character, and he is, but I also think Deanna is a tragic character because yes. she's like stuck with she's him. She's stuck with him, yeah. And every time she has a shot at love, it just is ridiculous and doesn't work out, and it just makes me sad. I know. Anyway, spoiler alert for the end of the episode. <laughs> Uh, Deanna senses Wyatt's attention on some drawings of an extremely 80s woman in the corner of the room (laughs) and figures out... That is the best description. You don't even have to watch the episode. Just think of the most 80s woman that you can think of. And you you know what she looks like. Yeah, you know. Uh, And figures out that this is why she sensed surprise from him earlier. She learns he's dreamed of this woman all his life and would hear her whispering his name at night, which is actually kind of weird, but, uh, and had just assumed it was Deanna using her Betazoid powers to project onto him, which again, no one showed him a picture of Deanna in all of these years, even though that they were genetically bonded. It just is so weird. Like we're supposed to believe these two people are this in the dark about this whole situation. Mm. Um, And also it just seems weird. He wouldn't know Deanna's not like a California blonde, you know, just knowing her family and where she came from. Yeah. That he would know that that's not what she would look like. Yeah. Like she does not look like the lady from the white snake video. (laughs) Oh, that just made me so happy. 
She might literally be the woman from the White Snake video. We should look that up. I think we should look that up because there is a very strong possibility <laughs> that that is correct. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> I love anyone who's younger listening to this is like, literally, I don't understand anything they've talked about this whole time. I know. I know. <laughs> our, our jokes are just period appropriate to the show. Listen. Come yeah. on. We're not old. We're just, mm. you know, staying with the times. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Deanna apologizes for being a disappointment, but Wyatt says, nah, bitch, you're hot as hell, and calls his drawings a childish fantasy. Meanwhile, Picard is investigating the mysterious ship up on the bridge. They realize that the ship is Torellian, and this is very, very bad. In the conference room, the senior crew are discussing the matter at hand. We learn through Chief Medical Officer Dr. Beverly Crusher that the Torellians are thought to be extinct after their two main land masses got into a biological war that infected the entire planet. They were said to be at the technological and scientific equivalent of late 20th century Earth, at which time they used their knowledge to create a deadly infectious virus. At which point, everybody watching definitely picked up on the blatant <laughs> cold war reference going on in this correct <clears throat> but also had a little coronavirus chill run down our backs oh yeah we all did Oof. Ugh, it's a f- fun time to be alive with like a new cold war <laughs> impending and also global pandemic yeah. <laughs> and also climate change <laughs> the, the writers who wrote this would be like you know, if if they were like sitting in the writers' room today, it would be like, "Wait, shit! You guys still hate the Russians?" And <laughs> yeah, they'd like, be like, "Really?" And they're invading Eastern Europe again. Wait, what? What is going you're on? Like, yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> Everyone's like retro nowadays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd be delighted to see that White Snake Lady was making a comeback, though. That's, <laughs> yes. that's, we're gonna see that hairdo again real soon. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh, the hair, man. The hair was just, I mean, that was something. The hair is amazing. That was like some kind of serious perm work, I think. Yeah, that kind of hair took hours and just so much product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just remember those days. And everyone just reeked of, uh, what is it, Aquanet? Aquanet. Aquanet. You could not light a match near someone's head. If you were a smoker (laughs) at this time, it was very dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you also couldn't run your fingers through anyone's hair. Oh, no. (laughs) That couldn't happen. Also, it's really funny because a look that takes hours to perfect, but like really does look like you just woke up. And then someone like shoved you in a dryer. Yeah, yeah. My dad's favorite joke, you know, after I'd come back from getting a haircut, would be like, oh, did you stick your finger in a light socket? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, it would be cheaper. It's (laughs) It's, it's an apt description. Tasha Yara jumps in to say that they learned about the Trillions in security officer training, (laughs) saying some left the planet only to die alongside the populations that they infected on other planets. Helmsman Jordi LaForge then jumps in to say that this is also covered at Starfleet Academy, Hmm. adding to the story that other Tyrellians tried to avoid other civilized worlds, but were hunted down and killed by other races anyway. It's all pretty dark. Um, I did enjoy the energy, though, of everyone was like, oh, let me tell you about this thing I learned in school (laughs) about this situation. 
It was kind of cute. It's almost like learning history is important. <laughs> right? <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Picard notes that it was believed that the last Torellian ship was destroyed years ago, making this mysterious ship all the more mysterious. They have nine hours until the infected ship reaches Haven, and Picard outlines the pickle that they're in. They are required by duty to protect Haven, and yet are also sworn to help those in need. Which also seemed kind of funny to me, because I was like, okay, but didn't everybody who came into contact with them die? So, like... Aren't you I know. Aren't you risking a lot to pose that? You would think, but I mean this is this is TNG. The writing only goes so far. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Picard asks everyone to brainstorm solutions and then adds cheekily that they have another second optional assignment to celebrate Deanna's impending nuptials. To which Riker dramatically turns on his heel and storms out of the room, making everyone wildly uncomfortable, myself included. Mm -hmm. No one says anything, and everyone silently leaves the room, and why is this scene so painful? We cut to the aforementioned celebration dinner, arguably the best scene in the whole episode. We see Mr. Hom binge drinking in the corner, and the Enterprise crew co-mingling with the Millers and the Troys. And Data, like, kind of lurking around oh. Mr. Om the whole time, like, staring at him. I think, I think this was the episode where I started to fall in love with Data because I was like, I love observing people, too. And I was just like, how fun would it be to be married to Data? And he comes home after this dinner, and he's just telling you about all of these things that he witnessed everyone doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Spilling the tea for you. I just would, like, love it. I would be yeah. like, yes, tell me everything. Mm. Oh, Data. Oh, Data. Uh, we find Mrs. Miller asking Picard to lead the wedding ceremony, to which he readily agrees, but then Loxana jumps in to talk at length about how Picard is utterly unqualified to lead a traditional Beta Z ceremony. Mrs. Miller is pissed, saying he is certainly qualified to lead a traditional Earth ceremony, and we kick off the feud between the two families arguing about what kind of ceremony the wedding will be because for some reason, even though this entire event is three quarters human, Loxana <laughs> insists on traditional beta Z everything, including that Loxana insists Mr. Hum will lead the ceremony, even though he does not seem to talk. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. He does. He does really give off some Adam's family vibes. <laughs> yeah, he is being very lurch in the corner. Uh -huh, uh -huh. The Millers are enraged and continue to push back and ask Luxana who she is to tell them what to do, to which Luxana becomes enraged, stating, Your ignorance is astonishing. I am Luxana Troy, daughter of the fifth house, holder of the sacred chalice of Ricks, heir to the holy rings of Beta Zed. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, damn. Picard tries to quell the arguing by insisting that it is Starfleet tradition to stop your bitching at social <laughs> gatherings. It works for a little while, but I have a feeling this is only a Band-Aid solution. We come back to see everyone seated for dinner and get to see the other senior crew members in a formal setting. Tasha Yar has her hair all poofed and swooped up. <laughs> that was the best. I died. I died. Like, talk about she literally looked like she stuck her finger in a light socket yes. and then someone just kind of like curled the ends. Yes, it was so bad. <laughs> it was really, really bad. Oh. 
Um, so I'm assuming this must be her fancy occasion hair, which is someone who also has very short hair. I can appreciate <laughs> even if I don't like the do. <sighs> My hair is actually so short that the only thing I can do is like flatten it down more to mm-hmm. make it look different. So, you know, I get it. Well, whatever. You you keep talking about hair. <laughs> I have nothing to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Data is watching Mr. Hom binge drink and makes a quippy remark asking him if he's part human, which to me is very funny to think that of all the species in space, humans are the ones known for consuming mass quantities of alcohol versus like you think it might be like the Klingons or someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mr. Hom starts hitting this little mystical sounding gong thing every few seconds and my autism is not happy about it. Mm Wyatt asks Picard about the Torellian ship, and we find out that he has a special interest in biological virus analysis and that he has read everything he could about the doomed planet. He and Dr. Crusher talk about collaborating to put together supplies to beam over to the Torellians. Picard calls Data out on being a creeper, (laughs) saying he's circling the room like a buzzard, but Data's having way too much fun observing everyone to really care, saying he finds them quite intriguing. Oh, he was having a blast at that party. He was loving it. Mm -hmm. I have screenshots of his face, too. Just, Mm -hmm. like, amazing. Mrs. Miller rightly calls out how fucking annoying the gong clanging is, and Loxana snipes back that it's the Beta Z way of giving things for food that they eat. Mrs. Miller calls out that this was not something she ever did before. Um, I want to just point out at this at this juncture that they're all eating off blue plastic cutlery. And I don't know why, but this was very funny to me. Like, this is their most fancy. This is the best they could do for, like, fancy dinnerware. Is like, this very clearly blue, bright blue plastic forks and knives and plates and <laughs> wine glasses. Oh, yeah. It's like, what's that called? Melmac? Or whatever, like oh yeah. Remember that type of like, it wasn't Tupperware, and it wasn't it wasn't Rubbermaid, but it was like something kind of in between. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like when you need disposable, but maybe you'll wash it and use it again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) So you just hike on down to the Walmart and (laughs) grab a couple (laughs) of those not quite disposable, not quite reusable. So it's like I can appreciate, again, that the show's on a budget, but you still think they'd have like some china laying around or like something that they could borrow to uh-huh. use for the scene. <laughs> Deanna looks, suddenly looks over at Will, who looks like he's taking a very dry <laughs> shit. <laughs> After a moment, he gets up and excuses himself from the party, looking like the saddest boy in space. Deanna, Deanna looks equally emo watching him leave. Was that was that Riker's third temper tantrum in this episode? Yes. It was the third time he walked out of a room. Nice. Okay. Three <sighs> tantrums in one episode. <laughs> yeah. The tantrum count is going is about to go up even more. And at this point, we're only like a quarter to a third of the way through the episode. Yeah. It's pretty impressive, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, Data asks Luxana about the Beta Zed's wedding ceremony, and this is where we learn that everyone is supposed to attend naked. Mrs. Miller nearly chokes on her food, and of course Luxana takes the opportunity to tell her that her husband is excited to see her, Luxana, naked. She's such a bitch. Yeah, that one was like, oof, oof. <laughs> also, I mean, Just I kind of... so unnecessary and rude. kind of feel bad for the, for the husband, because it's like, I mean, like, look... If you're going to go to a naked wedding, you're going to be pretty excited about seeing naked people. 
Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you really can't blame him. You really can't. Deanna loses her shit, jumping up from the table to yell at them to stop their petty bickering and then storms out of the room. In a small moment, that is why she is one of my favorites, even though she's so poorly written. Deanna bats the gong off the table on her way out. Yeah. I was like, yes, bitch. Loxana is nonplussed about the whole scene. Tasha is laughing. Wyatt looks pensive, and Data asks him to continue their petty bickering as he finds it most intriguing. Delivering the best line of the episode right there. So good. Uh, please continue the petty bickering. <laughs> He's like, more mess, please. I love it. <sighs> we cut to Deanna finding Will pouting like a little kid in the holodeck. He tells <laughs> Deanna that he will miss her. She remarks that he didn't call her as Imzadi, which we learn means my beloved, and then comments that the human heart is too small to permit that feeling now that she's about to marry another. Can we just mention that Riker is definitely sitting on like Tatooine in the holodeck? <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> da, yeah. da, 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 da. I wonder if he was thinking <laughs> about soundtrack. power converters. He was definitely thinking about some power converters. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> Riker just being the worst asks if she's discussed this with Wyatt and claims that it's damned unfair to him as well, meaning Riker. Oh, such a child. Ugh. Deanna retorts back that she should have expected this as young human males have difficulty separating platonic love and physical love. Yeah, thank you, Deanna, for pointing that out, actually, too. <laughs> because, like, that is something... that they, did, they got that line really, really on the nose. They did. Riker says he couldn't separate the two, calling her Inzadi, when Wyatt literally fucking pops up out of nowhere he's just like there uh -huh. all of a sudden and uh -huh. Riker jumps out of his skin jumping back and telling Wyatt that they were just talking about him Wyatt's just thrilled at the holodeck not seeming to care much about whatever he interrupted Will being an absolute ass starts to tell Wyatt that he and Deanna's just about he and Deanna's discussion but Deanna interrupts him to tell Wyatt herself saying that Will is concerned that Wyatt might care about Deanna having feelings for both of them. Wyatt literally couldn't care less, basically telling Will good luck on becoming a starship captain, mm -hmm. and then moving on to compliment Deanna for her temper tantrum earlier, saying it forced their parents to stop bickering and actually compromise on the wedding. Proving himself to be the only real adult exactly. <laughs> male on this episode. He just like was not even pressed about it mm -mm. one bit. Mm -mm. To Captain Picard's great relief, they decided only the bride and groom and Loaxana and Mr. Miller will be naked for the ceremony. Woohoo! <laughs> Riker excuses himself, pouting and sulking yet again. Wyatt checks with Deanna if she wants to go through with the wedding, and she says sincerely that she does, and they share a few steamy kisses. I ship it. I know. Back on the bridge, we learn that the Torellian ship is still non-responsive. The Haven delegate is begging the Enterprise to destroy the ship, calling it a plague ship. Picard decides to lock the ship in their tractor beam to keep it at a safe distance from the planet till they figure out some sort of solution. When suddenly the Torellian crew is on the view screen and Deanna Rick recognizes the California blonde from Wyatt's drawings. And White Snake AKA. starts playing over the loudspeaker. <laughs> yes. Here I go again on my own. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Dude, if that had happened, 
I could just die happy. (laughs) (laughs) Wyatt is brought to the bridge, and the woman, who we learned is named Ariana, on the viewer, recognizes him and calls him by name. We find out there's only eight Tyrellians left aboard the ship, and probably at all in Mm -hmm. the universe, and claim that they want to die on Haven. So basically, they know that they're going to die, but they want to die on a planet which seems selfish, honestly. I was like, anyway, we'll get into that. But I was mm-hmm. like, I have a lot of sympathy for you, but also, like, is this really worth the risk just to come die here? We want to die there, and you might all get infected and also die. But, you know, <laughs> right? come on. But it's really worth it. It's our dying wish. Mm-hmm. And it's like, fuck. Uh, asking to be put on the edge of a sea or on an unpopulated island Picard says he can't make that call himself, but that he'll talk to Haven leadership. I feel like that conversation would not go well, considering she's literally begging him to blow them out of the sky. Yeah. But anyway. But I also was thinking of how great it would be just to be put on the edge of a sea or an unpopulated Ugh. island with a replicator. It I, sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm just like, why are we not all just doing that? <laughs> I know. It would be pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Wyatt asks Loxana if she understands what's going on, and she explains that all consciousness is bound together and that that is what allowed he and Ariana to make contact. We cut to Wyatt in sickbay, gathering supplies for the Torellians nervously. He says goodbye to his parents and Deanna and then goes down to the transporter room, sedating the transporter guy and beaming himself over to the Torellian ship. Wyatt, we learn, decides to stay with the Torellians, knowing he can never come back, hoping he can find a cure for them, and wanting to live out his life with Ariana. On the Torellian ship, we see drawings of Wyatt from every age of his life. Ariana's dad said they all dreamed of Wyatt, which is kind of creepy, weird, <laughs> a little creepy. Mm-hmm. But Ariana's dad tells Picard to release the tractor beam, saying that they have what they came for and will not need to go down to the planet after all. Wyatt explains the situation to Deanna, who wishes he and Ariana well, although she does look very sad. The Millers leave Deanna with the jewels, and Loaxana beams out after exclaiming that Picard is having very dirty thoughts about her, leaving Picard looking faint. (laughs) Deanna tells them it was just a joke, but Picard says he was not amused. (laughs) Back on the bridge, they take off at warp two, and Picard tells Deanna he's glad she's still with them, to which I say... Me too, Picard. Me too. (laughs) (sighs) And everybody has a laugh. (laughs) Yep, everyone has a good old chuckle. (sighs) So, my friend, um, any any big takeaways from that episode? There were some interesting things I think were kind of brought up. Yeah. I, I think that the most important thing to point out is that my friend had an exact replica of the Ready Room Enterprise poster on his bedroom wall when we were growing really? up. And I just want to point out that was the level of nerddom that I belong to. Also, <laughs> I may have mentioned this once before, but he also had an autographed picture of Gates McFadden from the Trekkie Convention in Spokane, Washington. So, Aww, so if you were I there at that, that at that Trekkie Convention, circa 1990-something, you may have met my friend in elementary school. <laughs> So that's so cute. Yeah, yeah. I just thought that I think I thought that bore bringing up. (laughs) 
I mean, I agree. Yeah. Well, then that's good. So I can always ask you if they're in the ready room or not, because sometimes I don't know what the ready room is. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I think that's it. I know. I Because I, I think, do they call it different names sometimes, or am I just making it up? Well, I never really know what room is what, because they, they kind of, I, I, I feel like even the vibe of the bridge changes sometimes, like some of like the, the wood paneling and the upholstering and yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Sometimes Maybe there's a bench that Wesley sits on and sometimes right? I swear the bench is not there. That's not just me, right? Like sometimes the bridge looks different. I agree. Okay, okay. I, yeah, I, it throws me off. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, wait, is this the captain's lounge or is right. this the ready room? Yeah. Or like, where are we? And what's the and difference And then there's that those? conference room they're in. And mm-hmm. sometimes they call it, what is that one called? Because it doesn't sound like conference room. It has a different name. It's like the observation lounge. Oh, is that what sometimes it's called? They call it, sometimes they call it that. And I'm like, that does not sound like yeah. a place you'd have a meeting. No, I know. I think I'm going to call my office the ready room <laughs> from this point <laughs> forward. I actually love that. I might steal that yeah. when I have an office someday. Yeah, I'll be like, meet me in my ready room. <laughs> and then people will be like, what? And I'll just be like, my office. <laughs> Come on, guys. Get with it. I'm trying to be cool. Uh yeah, so that was so that was important. Um, I also just loved in this episode that even in the 24th century on a distant planet of a non-human species, visits from mom are still frightening. <laughs> like Diana's reaction yes. knowing her mom was coming on board. Now And your in-laws are stressful. Yeah, I mean, I, I my my mom is nothing like Diana Troy's mom, so I'm not I can't relate in that way, but I've had friends yeah, whose same. moms are like that, like the force of nature kind of like, you know, um, so that I, I found that all very amusing. I did too. Well, Oksana, you know, is always a breath of fresh air. You know, she always comes around, kicks things up, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. irritates everyone. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, I just have to appreciate, even though, you know, she can be a bit much, I have to appreciate a woman who is of her age, who's still so confident mm-hmm. and is like, everyone wants to see these titties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm gracing you with my presence. You got to love it. Yeah. I also love there's an episode at some point where she, because she always has that speech about how she's like the daughter of the fifth fifth mm-hmm. house and mm-hmm. blah, blah. And I think Deanna says something like, have you even seen, what are they, the rings of Beta Z? Yeah. <laughs> she, she makes some comment like how it's all just bullshit. Like that title makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, that makes me love it even more. I know. Because of course she would have some bullshit title that she like just confidently a title. spews at everyone all the time. It makes me believe that there's really no patriarchy on amongst the Beta Zeds because she's just like, like she just takes up space and it's like unapologetically and which is kind of nice. I agree. And also just, I, she was just hilarious. I thought she was so funny in this episode. <laughs> She's so funny. <clears throat> she walks that line. I always want to be careful about like someone who kind of sexually harasses people just mm. because she's a woman, you know, uh-huh. I don't want to give her a pass, but like, I do love the way that she just tortures Picard. It is quite funny to me. Uh-huh. And you never quite know what Picard thinks. Like you uh-huh. think he doesn't like her, uh-huh. but there's always this little hint of like, maybe he is having <laughs> like dirty thoughts about her uh-huh. and she is calling him out on it. I don't know. It's just so funny. The whole dynamic is very funny to me. Yeah. Yeah. And when she's, remember when she's sitting at the banquet and she's like, unlike some people, I am in growth. <laughs> 
such a good line. <laughs> that know. sounds like something I'd he- overhear at a pl- like eating at a restaurant in like San Diego or LA. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I just told her I can't deal with this. I'm in growth right now. <laughs> As someone sipping their green juice, you know, and eating their like raw pizza. (laughs) It was, it was nice because there were, there were elements of that in this episode where I just loved the little quips and the one-liners. And then Mm -hmm. there were also some elements of the episode that were definitely like R slash men writing women. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And some of the lines, they even were like good, but Mm -hmm. then they were, they just the context was so awkward and kind of i don't know mm-hmm. like especially with deanna and will every time they talk to each other that's what i mean i feel like half of their conversation is not being said mm-hmm. it's like i kind of get what you're getting at but it's i don't know like when she said oh human hearts are too small mm-hmm. for such things now i'm like that's a good line but i didn't i was like oh, okay so they're talking about being friends now i guess but it's like but she's also not going to be on the ship so like why i didn't follow that whole line of thinking i mean it's like they talk in these riddles almost to each other about their relationship always because in a way it's kind of a win for Riker if she is just going to marry this guy and then never be on the ship again because it's like well okay you can move on then you know what i mean it's like she's coming on board ship with wyatt and that like she and wyatt are just going to be rubbing their awesomeness in his face every day (laughs) Right. You know, for him to have a tantrum about and dramatically fling himself to the side. <laughs> oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know what I and mean? And then she, fi- she finds him in the hall and he's just like <laughs> hand on, head on fist. Doing his best just Rodan being like, the don't. thinker. He's like, no, don't. <laughs> I wish I could... <sighs> I just can't communicate. You guys have to follow our Instagram because yeah. I am going to post many pictures of Riker's shenanigans in this episode, mm-hmm. including his pose in the holodeck where he's sitting atop a rock, just like literally pouting mm-hmm. and his dramatic walling. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think this, I think it's, it's, it seems like that that made me think as a child that like when you're upset, you should go to a space and pout and someone will come to you. But yes. the thing was, I no one ever came. <laughs> so it always right. backfired on me, you know? It's like, I'm right. here, I have been pouting for an hour. Where is someone <laughs> right now? <laughs> and I can tell you, I think a lot of men internalize that messaging. Yep. Not to say that women don't do it as well, but mm-hmm. like every guy I've dated does that. It's yes. like, he gets mad about mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that like has almost nothing to do with me mm-hmm. or what I've actually done, mm-hmm. runs off, mm-hmm. and then it's my job to be like, what did no, I do? come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't be <laughs> no, mad. No, come back. Oh. <laughs> right? oh, you're all the way over there now. Wow. And it's that like, nice yeah, this um, <laughs> it's this way of making your, it's this way of like taking over the situation mm-hmm. with your emotions Mm -hmm. and not allowing it to be I don't know how to word this but I think you know what I'm talking about it's this way it's like now I'm mad so everything has to stop and Mm -hmm. you have to like come cater to Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. instead of me doing any of the work to like process my feelings or communicate mm -hmm. them or anything and you just see Riker doing that it's like he basically seemed like he expected Deanna 
to not marry Wyatt. Right. And just stay on the ship. And that's what, you know, again, speaking almost in riddles, but that's what she was trying to say to him with the whole ship's captain thing is like, that's still your top priority, right? You're not going to give that up. So why would I keep acting like this is going to be a thing? And I still don't understand Mm -hmm. this whole fucking ship's captain thing. It's too much. (sighs) Like, there's not a single ship's captain in the entire Starfleet that's married and has kids. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And it's like you two are on the same ship. I know, like, for years. You could have just been dating the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't understand why this is a whole thing. Anyway, I'm going to go off about that in a future episode. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. for now, I will just say, yeah, he's just being a baby. And it's like, he's, he's like, oh, I feel bad because I want you, but I'm not willing to do what it takes to have you. Yeah. But I'm also not willing to let you go. Yep. So I need you to be responsible for my bad feelings, yep. even though the only person who could solve them is me. Yeah. Like, what is Deanna going to do? Just sit there and rot forever, which, spoiler alert, she basically does. Right. Uh, yeah, it's 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 an emotional hostage situation is what it is. Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's like, I'm not going to let you go, but also I'm not going to be in a relationship with you. <laughs> Right. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and I, and I will, and I will, I will admit to my own, um, doing this, but it is such an adult male thing of like just the pouting and the withdrawing and the having a little temper tantrum, um, when you don't get your way and, and men do it. I mean, like all the time, like it's just mm-hmm. a very, you know, it's, it's the reaction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I find, I think a lot of it too, not for every guy, but I think for a lot of guys, like I think for Riker, a Riker type, mm-hmm. is that they're used to always being in control yeah. and being the one who's leaving. And so it's like they have no tools mm-hmm. for just like how to deal with heartbreak, mm-hmm. you know, how to deal with disappointment. Mm-hmm. So it's almost this, like I got that vibe from him of almost like, well, how could you like, oh, you should tell Wyatt about me thinking like, oh, this other guy is going to be insecure like I am. Mm-hmm. And this might, you know, disrupt the relationship or whatever. And then mm-hmm. Wyatt's like, no, I'm good. Like, yeah. Good luck being a ship's captain. Bye. Yeah. So why it was, and that was what I loved about this episode was you have Riker who is like the definition of an immature baby man, you know, (laughs) even though he's supposed to be like this representation of like ideal masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got Wyatt who's just like totally chill. And he's like, Oh, I don't have a problem with the fact that you love multiple people. Like love can contain (laughs) multitudes. Like, you know, why would I be, why would that be a problem? Like you need to be happy, you know? And I'm like, okay, so this guy that she's known for like five seconds already is capable of a deeper, more authentic relationship with her than, than Riker. And, and I kind of, I liked that about how they wrote this episode too, because Wyatt comes off looking like a total champ. Like it's, yeah. you, you don't ever feel bad for him. You don't ever feel like he's compromising himself. He's always like, oh, I'm going to do this. And he's, he's so deferential to Deanna too. And he's like, hey, how are you feeling about this? Cause like, I'm down and I think you're great, but like, I don't want you to feel like you have to jump into this. Like, I don't know. I was, I'm on team Wyatt. I'm just saying right I'm, now. I'm printing a t-shirt right now. Mm-hmm. Total team Wyatt. <laughs> And I really love this, the symmetry that they created in their backstories where Wyatt had this like fantasy 
woman. Mm, yeah. And Deanna had this kind of like almost like a fantasy fantasy with Riker mm-hmm. of like they had this like amazing love story that, you know, got interrupted and she's just sort of been like hoping that it'll come back. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we don't really have all this like backstory, so it's something you sort of catch more on the second watching. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and they both they both in agreeing to that they want to be together are agreeing that they're letting those things go, and yeah. also showing that like like Dana was not jealous about the <laughs> White Snake Video Girl. <laughs> I and I love at all. I love that. And they could have they could have fucked that up so royally. They oh, could yeah. have made it the typical like, you know, jealousy kind of stereotype between women. And and they didn't do that at all. It was just really like everybody was in this like healthy kind of, hey, you do you, and I'm really supportive, and I might feel sad, but I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like even at the end, she wishes Wyatt and Ariana you know, like the best of luck. And she means it sincerely. Like she really wants them. She wishes them happiness and good fortune or something. And she means it, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. when she sees the drawings of him, when she she apologizes for being a disappointment, she's not saying it in a pouty way. She she meant it like very almost literally mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm sorry that I'm not the person that you like were waiting for mm-hmm. this whole time. Yeah. And he was like, no, that was a childish fantasy. You're real. Mm-hmm. You're amazing. Like, I'm good. Because, mm-hmm. like, who wouldn't be, first of all? Right. Deanna is, like, such a catch. Which is, again, why I can't stand that she is always connected to Riker. And then at the end, you know, when when she's, like, kind of acknowledging him moving on, you know, like, she's talking about how, like, oh, yeah, all the universe is connected, so, like, I don't want to mm-hmm. stand in the way of this connection, and, you know, humans are always trying to deny the connection. I think they, there's, like, that little dialogue about how humans are always trying to deny the fact that everything in the universe is connected, like, yeah. hence the climate crisis slash COVID-19 slash, you know, every problem that we have. Oof. And (laughs) like this episode, like I just liked it more and more (laughs) the the more I thought about it. Cause I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I came to Star Trek for. That's what I signed up for was this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, it is all connected. You're right. And it continues that beta Z tradition of kind of being like the new agey representation on the show. But like, you never feel like they're poking fun at it. It is like just as legitimate a lot of times as any other aspect of the show, like the, you know, the logical side or mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. historical side or whatever. Like it, yeah, like when Lawaxana is talking about that, you kind of take it as truth because mm-hmm. it happened, you yep. know, within the storyline. Like she is saying everyone's connected and humans fight that. And you have this proof within the story that that is true. These two people connected in this way that should be impossible. And I just really love that Star Trek makes space for that. Yep. Yeah, which which brings me to my one gripe with the episode. Oh, let's hear it. It's, I love the gripe. I, I, yeah, this is, but this is really it. It, this was, oh, what did, I, one of my students came up with this term and I just loved it, violently heterosexual. <laughs> which I loved. Sounds like something I would say. (laughs) (laughs) He's, he's he's a delightful, delightful person. And when I, when I watched this episode, I had that sense that like, I, 
the, the beta Zeds would be like, if they were really like into like polyamory and desexualizing the naked body, which I thought was mm -hmm. also cool. Like the wedding ceremony was naked, but yeah. it wasn't like, ooh, sexy type of thing. It was like, no, that's what you do for a wedding. You, everyone goes naked, you know? And like, I, I feel like that would be a super like body positive kind of like, you know, culture and everything. There would be some pretty cool differences around ethics, which they, which they do. I mean, I think like with Deanna, she exemplifies that, but everything else in the episode is like really, really, really hetero. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's hard to believe that the beta zoids or beta Z wouldn't be largely pansexual. Yeah, exactly. Like Deanna seems like she'd be down for whatever, mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In a great way. I'm very into it. Um yeah, and and whenever she I, I just like Deanna again, very poorly written in a lot of ways, but I just like that she's always representing this like dude get over it kind mm -hmm. of vibe mm -hmm. when it comes to relationships and stuff. She's always representing like they don't lean as into it as I wish they did, but she does represent like polyamory mm -hmm. often and just like a very relaxed attitude towards relationships and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just love that we meet her mom and her mom's like that on steroids. You yeah. know? <laughs> She's yeah. like, yeah. even that so much more. And even though we never, I think, uh, we might meet like one or two other beta Zs at some point or uh -huh. beta Z. Yeah, I know. I don't I, know. I, I, I need I, like um I need a, a grammar lesson yeah. <laughs> for them. <laughs> um but uh anyway, I just love that I think even just with those two characters, they managed to do a lot of world building very effectively mm -hmm. for this culture. There's a lot of times when, you know, it's ridiculous and I have complaints, but I think a lot of like their um, perspectives on life and their viewpoint, their culture comes through really well through Deanna and her mother. Mm -hmm. Whereas you look at someone like Worf and I feel like that the Klingon stuff takes a lot longer to come through and it's still like quite messy for a long time. Mm -hmm. I feel like they do a better job with uh, the Beta Z mm. perspective. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that was, that. it does come through delightfully in this episode. Yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. It's just good it's fun. Good, good, clean fun. And I do wonder, because this show does critique toxic masculinity and, um, you know, masculine gender roles really well. It's one of the things I think the show does really well. So it, I wonder how intentional Riker coming off as childish was. Oh, and I want to yeah. think that it was very intentional. Like the... The contrast between him and Wyatt. Mm -hmm. Wyatt also being, it's kind of hard to remember because you have to remember it's like 80s mm -hmm. standards. But, you know, Wyatt seems he has longer, softer hair. Mm -hmm. He comes off a little bit more like a gentle, like he doesn't seem like such a man's man as Riker yeah. does. And I think it was interesting that they let him be like the more mature, cool mm -hmm. cat one who just was like, much more of a healthy partner for Deanna. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe there's some critique going on there. And I think we've seen them do that with Wesley as well. Mm -hmm. Use him as sort of a foil for Riker's like overbearing masculinity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I always appreciate. Yeah. I did, you know, I did have a couple questions that came up in this episode. Do tell friends. So question number one. <laughs> 
<laughs> Did they ever explain what being genetically bonded meant? Because no, I, and that sounded very weird to me. Like it sounded a little Nazi-ish. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, does genetic bonding? Are they referring to marriage by another name? Like that they call it genetic bonding, and then that doesn't make sense to me though because that would assume that all sexual intercourse would be procreative, which. Right. They're definitely not going for that vibe. So, yeah, so I was very The confused. only thing I could think was that this is, because I had the same question and I was like really paying attention and thinking about it during the episode. And that what I think they were trying to get at, because it was also weird that almost no one involved was actually Beta Zed. Right. Even Deanna herself is only half. Mm -hmm. So I was like, why is she being roped into this like super traditional thing? Mm -hmm. And why does she feel such this obligation to do it? And why do the Millers even agree with this? Mm -hmm. So what I think happened, because there's a brief comment that she says that Mr. Miller was her father's best friend. Mm -hmm. So I think what genetic bonding is, is like the families agree that their children will get married. Okay. So it's like not... But how is that So genetic? I think the genetic is like, I don't know. I think it's just saying like our offspring mm -hmm. will like be together, which is just weird. Okay. To call it... I agree. I think the genetic bonding is like a very weird thing. I thought it was just... Thing, yeah, the but that's the only thing off. I could put together mm -hmm. is that like her father's dead. Mr. Miller was his best friend. Mm -hmm. Her father was human, so I don't know why these two human dads even, like, that's what didn't make sense to me. Because I'm like, I could see if her dad was Beta Zed and he asked Mr. Miller and was like, hey, you're human, but, like, you're my best friend and I love you so much. I want, yeah. like, this is a tradition we have and I want our kids to get married. And then mm -hmm. Mr. Miller's like, oh, I need to honor this, which I do think is what they were saying happened. Like, I think that's why Deanna felt that she needed to do it and why Mr. Miller called it in. But it's like... But her dad was human. Like, why was he so into this tradition? Yeah, there could have been a lot of potential for backstory to be unpacked there, you know, potentially. Oh, yeah. I agree. It's also why, like, it didn't make sense to me why Luxana was so antagonistic mm. against the Millers. Mm -hmm. Because it's like you would think that your dead husband's best friend would be someone that you, like... Right? ...would have some fondness for. Yeah. But she was, like, hated them. Yeah. And I think it was just to make her, you know, her sassy self. Right. But it just, nothing about the arrangement really made any sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, all right, Star Trek, I see you. Like, yeah. you do this. You just threw together this situation that if you think about it for three seconds doesn't make sense. But we needed, we needed something to kick off the story. And here we are. Yeah. Okay. So that, so that, that kind of answers that question. Because they didn't even talk <laughs> about kids. No, no, and that was, Which, yeah. You know, and Deanna did say somewhere in there that she's like, oh, it's basically like a wedding, mm -hmm. you know, like a marriage. Um, but yeah, the whole genetic part of it, I was like, I don't like that phrase. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and also, it, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, what if, what if your best friend ended up not being able to have biological kids and had to adopt? Like, is the genetic bond off? Yeah, no, I I think it's just I think it's just clunky the terminology. Like I think the genetic part is maybe they're saying they're trying to genetically bond their families together through the children. I know, but it still just seems weird. But it's like gross. Yeah, yeah. 
Because the only way to do that is for your children to have children, mm-hmm. and then you're bonded. Yeah. So again, that's putting a lot of pressure on it's reproduction. It's all about procreation, and, and I feel like that's not the vibe of the. I don't know. Yeah. I know they were trying to be cool with like prearranged marriage stuff, right? And also, I do have a nitpick that I don't think that Beta Zeds would have prearranged marriage. I, I, that's what came kept coming up for me too. I was like, if this culture is all the things you're telling me that that it is, why would they have these like these very elaborate arranged marriages? Yeah. The, and like, sure, maybe they're still polyamorous, but like, but this, this seems, it just doesn't make sense. This seems like very monogamy ish, you know, which, yeah, yes. which could be, I mean, maybe you can have a partner and, and like, you know, who's like your person and then still be polyamorous, like obviously, but they don't really unpack that angle of it. Yeah. Like I, I would think if anything, they wouldn't have marriage. Right. Right. You know, yeah, I would expect them weird. to be a planet where it's like, we don't even know who the kids dads are. Yeah. Like we, <laughs> it's yeah. just like, we all, you know, kind of love each other and we all raise each other's kids and like, yeah. Free love, man. Yeah. That's what I would expect it to be. So yeah. Them wedging in this like prearranged marriage just sounded very strange to me but but it works for it works for the episode like it works for for what they're trying to do yeah okay question number two yes i need and and someone can email me if you have a better explanation than what nick and i can come (laughs) up with here and where would they email you at that would be at (laughs) sauce.sep at gmail.com yes call back to episode one sauce.sep at gmail.com. I think it was episode two, actually. Episode two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. When you actually register. Two. Well, you're right. It's it's a callback to both episodes, yeah. actually. I mentioned it in one, but I didn't actually make the email until two. Right. Yeah. But he, so here's my question. And this is for all of you out there in Red Shirt Collectiveville and also for me and Nick to try to figure out. I do not understand transporter logic in Star Trek. And Dude. <laughs> I know that it's kind of a, it's, you know, it's a bit of a loosey goosey thing, but this has happened twice now so far in season one, this exact thing. So due to the tractor beam, the Torellians <laughs> cannot transport yes! out of the ship. I was thinking of you when I rewatched the episode, I was like, Mike is going to pick up on this. But anyone else can transport on to the ship this seems like a, a general inconsistency well even then because picard asked i think jordy once they had the tractor beam on the ship he's like can they can they tra- can they come down to the aboard planet? our ship or aboard the planet yeah, yeah. Or, can they come to the planet? right mm-hmm. and he was like no they can't They're in but i'm the like so wait beam. so that is possible mm-hmm. that they can do that because we've been told in other occasions it's not possible right and then um uh, Wyatt beams himself onto their ship. Right. And and that's exactly how Picard beams himself onto the Ferengi ship <laughs> right. in, in uh, the battle. And out into space. And beams and... himself. And, and so I'm... I'm <laughs> and everywhere else. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to figure out, like, transporter logic here, it just seems to me like that's kind of a glaring inconsistency if you simultaneously can and cannot utilize the, the transporter... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It just, it doesn't, it, it doesn't sit well with me. So if anybody has an explanation for that, or if it is in fact just a glaring inconsistency, you know, then. Let us know. Let us know. Yeah. So we can't answer that. 
even small things like how the fuck does literally everyone know how to use a transporter? Right. It seems like it would be kind of a technical <laughs> Every thing. Single person. This is a storyline that happens or a plot point that happens over and over again is like the transporter guy gets knocked out or whatever. Yeah. And then someone else uses a transporter to do a thing. And it's like, how does literally everyone know how to use a transporter? This right. guy's a doctor. Like, how does he know how to operate a transporter? Like, I would expect that, like, yeah, Picard, Riker. Is it like a revolving door or something where it's just like everyone knows how yeah, to Yeah, you use just hit it. a couple buttons and beep, boop, you transport. <laughs> right. Beep, boop, beep. Yeah. Because it's like, how do you know where to target? I don't know. Yeah. It just, how do you know how to tell? This is the other thing with transporters. Like when they say like three to beam up, it's like, how do you know which three? Yeah. Like oftentimes they'll say something like that standing in a crowd of people. And it's like, sure, sometimes the people are like the people who work on the ship and have the little comms and stuff. But sometimes they just randomly decide to bring new people with them or bring fewer people back. And somehow the transporter just knows that those are the people. Or they like grab on to somebody. Aren't there scenes where they like grab on yes. to somebody? And it's like, from what we understand, the transporter wouldn't know that those are two people when they just become a big giant glob of human DNA, like yeah. molecules mashed together. Yeah, it seems risky to me. Anyway, I'm I'm really unclear on transporter logic. I agree. Yeah, yeah like sh- like tractor beams, shields. Un- unidentified people like who what is going on here mm-hmm. we need to know okay question three <laughs> yes. this, uh, question three is more of an observation <laughs> I'm, the, I'm that guy at the q a session uh i have more <laughs> yes. of an observation actually than a question oh my god <laughs> i used to fucking hate people like that I when i would go I speak at conferences yeah i just be like well, thanks for having everyone come to your talk. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, well, when you have the microphone, uh, you can say what you want. Uh, okay. <laughs> Was anybody else getting strong Jesus vibes off of the ending of the episode with Wyatt, the very, oh. like, American-looking Jesus? Like, he looked like the Jesus that hung in my living room as a kid, you know? <laughs> Um, like the white Jesus vibes of That's like a West coast Jesus, West coast Jesus, surfer Jesus going over to heal the lepers in the leper colony. Dude, like, I didn't even think about that. Cause I did think of like the leper mm-hmm, sort of thing, mm-hmm. but you were, now that you've said it, I totally see it. Mm-hmm. Cause even that scene on the ship was weird. Like we didn't need to see that scene. Yeah. It felt very intentional yeah. that he's like walking past all these drawings of himself right? and then. The entire ship of people like walks towards him and are like, we've been dreaming of you. We've all dreamed of you. And I was like, God, this is weird. Yeah, like very strong like prophecy vibes. Anyway, I just got a yes. very strong Jesus-y vibe off of the... Uh, I bet the first thing he did was wash their feet. I, I bet you're right. Yeah. <laughs> he might have even turned some water into wine, but I guess with the he replicator, that's not really that... <laughs> But maybe it's uh, the good tasting wine because they're always bitching about how the replicator makes bad liquor oh, there you or go. alcohol. Yeah. So maybe he's got like the the real stuff. Okay. So fourth and final question: Was <laughs> yeah. anyone else bothered by the fact that they never actually got to relax on the planet? I mean, yes, but also no, because that woman was like trying to kill. <laughs> 
She was, I was like, maybe this isn't a planet you want to, I feel like if you sneeze on this planet, this woman's going to fucking like blast you out of existence. Yeah. She did not seem as chill as someone I would have expected for a planet that has no guns, you know, like I thought she'd be pretty relaxed. She was like, you need to protect our beautiful, relaxing planet by killing the ship of people. Yeah. Like okay, lady. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm gonna book a hotel room somewhere else. <laughs> I'll see you later. Um, but yeah, they never get to relax. They never relax on ever. the planet. It's kind of sad because, like, you know, yeah. Picard is waxing eloquent about it at the <laughs> beginning of the episode. Listen, you know, it's a place where it. What did he say? He like it heals broken it's, hearts. Yeah, it's been and known men's to mend souls. broken hearts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this place sounds great. Oh, uh, just kidding. You can't actually go yeah. there because you know Diana has to have this wedding thing. Randomly, also, I was a little annoyed at continuity because usually they're pretty good at stuff. And if you remember on the last episode, Diana had been dropped off. To have a home visit. I know. And now it seems like so she So I thought they were going to pick ages. her up. Yes. Like, I don't understand. Maybe, I mean, I also know sometimes the episodes, are, you know, aren't aired in the order that they were written in or whatever. So maybe they couldn't plan for it. But uh-huh. it just seems so weird that they just weren't. Like, why didn't they just go to pick Dana up? And I- she was like, oh, so about that, actually, I'm getting married. Yeah. You know? Yep. Exactly. Like, like you would think that would be anyway. Yeah. You would think that that would have been a theme. But yeah. But you get used to it. They never get to relax. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I know. And any <laughs> episode. never get a vacation. I know. It's always such a tease, too. Ugh. Even when they do, it's like <sighs> there's some annoying storyline yep. that interrupts it. Yep. 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 I'm thinking of a Picard's attempt at a <laughs> vacation. I don't remember what season that's in, but anyway. <sighs> well, <laughs> um, I have like no interesting notes. I guess the only oh, thing fun. that I thought was maybe like leftist interesting to talk about mm-hmm. is kind of like the ableism and the representation of disease and mm. how different people deal with it. Mm-hmm. Because even my own reaction of them, like, wanting to go die on the planet, just being like, well, that's kind of selfish. It's probably, like, a bit ableist. You know, and I just think, like, in coronavirus times, it's kind of an interesting topic to wrestle with. Because, you know, on one hand, like, again, because the Haven woman, I think at some points actually calls them lepers. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Yeah, I think she does So you're dealing with that, like... Yeah, that like stigma and, you know, that kind of side of things and knowing that these people were like hunted down and killed, even though they were trying to like stay remote, not infect other people like that's really disturbing. Mm -hmm. But then we're also like living in a time where, you know, having some personal accountability, isolating yourself, Mm -hmm. taking safety precautions is like, you know, in all of our heads all the time. So, yeah, I just felt kind of torn. I, I felt like they did a good job, like, displaying just how confusing and difficult that situation is. Without, yeah. you know, they didn't go too far into it, but I feel like the way that they represented, like, you know, you had the woman on the planet who just wanted them dead. Mm-hmm. You had Picard, who was like, I want to be safe about this, but I do want to try to help these people. Right. And then you had Wyatt, who was like, I'm not afraid. I'm going to go look like I want to be, you know, I'm going to go be physically with them Mm. and like take part in their struggle and Mm. see if I can help. And I thought that was kind of cool to just have those three 
you know, things represented for them. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, that's, that's cool. I didn't actually catch that observation about the response to disease. Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting. And I think it's interesting too that, you know, like <laughs> Dr. Crusher Beverly had so much disdain for the Torellians. Mm calling them like fools and all this stuff. Um, And I think that's kind of an interesting thought as well. When we think about sickness, Mm. ableism, all of these things is like when it's your own fault, quote unquote, Mm. you know, how much less sympathetic people can be. Um, It even made me think about things like AIDS, HIV, you know, just like all these different things we've had to deal with. Uh, in recent memory where you have people who are stigmatized and blamed for their own illness and other people being afraid of them and trying to keep them away and also not giving them help. And I just thought like, you know, this was in the 80s. I don't know if they were, and I know they did have some gay writers who would try to sneak stuff into episodes. So I don't know if this was supposed to be a nod to HIV Um, But it certainly, for me, had a little bit of that context. That's that's such a great observation. It it brings up for me, um, my partner recommended this book called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat. And Mm. it's a little bit of a a departure from the AIDS line, but um, also this idea of like that when someone is fat, that there's this assumption that it's like, oh, but that's something you can control, for example. Um, And I recommend the book. It's actually, I've I've only listened to the introduction in the first chapter, but it really just gets into, um, you know, the the ways in which, like, actually for for fat people, um, things have actually gotten worse. Like, like in, in other areas, you know, it's like, like a recognition of discrimination against certain uh, groups who are outside mm-hmm. of the core, who are on the periphery. It's like awareness has increased and there's actually like, you know, movement towards, um, you know, trying to address that, except not with fat people. You know, if anything, it's, it's stayed the same or gotten worse over the years. Um, and it's, it's interesting in that case too, this almost like disgust or stay away from, from that, you know. Um, yeah, which would be kind of the, that same kind of ethic that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, and that's something Star Trek also does well, I think mostly is presenting scenarios that can be applied to a lot of different things and are kind of timeless in a way, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like they may have been nodding to something specific, but at the same time, you can look at it 40 years later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Or like 35 years later and be able to be like, yeah, that's still, you know, yeah. there's there's a situation today where that's still relevant. And yeah, as a fat person who cannot control their weights, I would say that I, you know, I do feel that that's very true. I'm lucky that like I haven't really experienced a lot of direct fat phobia since I gained this weight, but I was even looking at um life insurance the other day because I want to make sure... I was being very dramatic. I had to be sedated for a procedure and I was like, what if I die? 
So I was looking at life insurance because I want to make sure my little sister's okay if something happened to me. And literally the very first question was like, what is your weight? What is your BMI? Wow. And I just closed the browser and I was like, I just can't deal with this right now. Um, And, you know, like I'm doing a lot of work to try to, I suffered from eating disorders my whole life. So this is one of those like, hopefully everyone understands what I'm saying, but like worst case scenarios to not be in control of my weight. Um, and ironically, I think largely caused by my eating disorders. Um, but yeah, I just noticed, like I was talking about this in my book club the other day, but I noticed that I've had a lot of medical appointments lately trying to figure out I've had some really long-term health issues and then some more kind of acute, um, just physical, like I have an issue with my shoulder that I'm getting some treatment for. And um, I've just noticed how hard I'm trying all the time to seem competent because I need these people to believe me and listen to me. And I just am so keenly aware of how like women, queer people, fat people, obviously also people of color, which I am not. But you know what I mean? Like I just I'm just aware that I like I'm living in an intersection of a lot of people who are not listened to mm. about pain and about their bodies. And I've lucked out and just had just the most amazing medical care I've had in my entire life. Mm. Um, and I think that's because I'm on the free, the like state health insurance. And I go to this residence clinic. Uh, that's all, you know, doctors finishing their residency and so they're all young and they get to spend a lot of time with you and they just all seem to care a lot and Mm -hmm. it's been really refreshing um anyway but just all to say like it you know it is a very real thing and even if you're not actively experiencing it and I'm sure this is like I can imagine this is what racism is like like even if you're not actively experiencing it you're just fucking thinking about it Mm -hmm. all the fucking time Mm -hmm. when I fly now I'm like, oh, is the person sitting next to me mad? Because even though I can usually still fit in the seat and still um, use the seat, the buckle that they give you, you know, it's like I'm filling up the seat and I'm like usually kind of touching the other person. You just you're just thinking about like how much space you're taking up and what is someone else thinking about me? Mm. Even when I walk by someone who's jogging on the sidewalk, who's very thin, you know, I'm like, oh, they probably think I'm fat because I'm not jogging. Mm. You know, and I just like, it's just this narrative running all the time. And it's really hard because I'm, you know, a radical leftist and certainly being uh, against fat phobia is like a huge part of my political beliefs. And yet I still have so much internalized Mm -hmm. stuff that Mm -hmm. this is what I was saying too the other day is that even when you manage to decolonize yourself from something, you are still aware that like other people haven't. And a lot of times those other people have authority over you. So like you can never get away from it, you know? And then it just, that makes it also like come back so much more often for even when you feel like you've processed something, it can resurge because now you're in this situation that's putting you under this pressure of having to think about it. And it's a lot. So anyway, sorry, that was my rant for the day. But yeah, I I agree. And I think like, you know, I think fat jokes are still considered okay. Yeah. I kind of see like fat, uh, fat phobia and I think transphobia Mm -hmm. less than it used to be. But I feel like those are the two that are still just like pretty socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. Mm 
mm-hmm. you know, in a way that other stuff at least is like not saying it doesn't still exist because certainly it does. But I think um, more progress has been made and there's at least some social awareness that like, hey, that's not OK. Right. But yeah, the fat thing. And I feel like that's maybe why transphobia too, because pe- a lot of people have the misconception that that is your own choice in yep. a way. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or people, I, I've talked to a lot of people who, because um, we had quite a few trans women who worked at my job in the IT department, uh, trans in tech, <laughs> the queers get it. Um, but uh, you know, they would say really ignorant things like, well, if this person's really a woman, then why doesn't she, I will use the correct pronoun, um, you know, have surgery. And right. it's like, you can't just like, just have surgery. And what surgery are you talking about? Like, do you know how many surgeries yeah. there are that fall under gender affirmation mm-hmm. surgeries? Mm-hmm. Like you can, you know, people are always fixated on genitals but Uh it's like you can do face shaping you Uh can do there's all kinds like face feminization and all these things Uh plus you have to be on hormones for a certain amount of time plus it's super expensive plus there's a ton of risk Uh plus there's a just huge amount of aftercare Uh so you like me i had a trouble finding someone to pick me up from an endoscopy Uh i can't imagine like you know you need months or weeks and months of care after a big surgery So, yeah, it's I think people have this uh, assumption that, like, you can be trans and just, like, go into the hospital and, like, two hours later come out <laughs> just completely a different, just uh, magically. you know, just different physical. With no and complications like, or no further yeah. health considerations whatsoever. Literally not how it works, guys. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I like that kind of entire topic. And I think mm-hmm. I agree. I think this could be applied to something like um fat phobia Mm. for sure in the context of like thinking that something's someone's fault because we never find out i mean these Tyrellians. so we learn that one continent one landmass whatever um created the virus and attacked the other with it right so it's like these guys could have been refugees from the attacked landmass but there is this idea that like oh because you come from these people and it's their own fault. Like We're you're all just like, it's you. all your own fault. Yeah. Right. Like every single Torellian who ever lived is a monster now. Exactly. Yeah. And and that you get some people giving that line pretty harsh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like Beverly Crusher, I want to like her. Yeah. But she's kind of a monster. <laughs> in that, yeah. In that scene, it was, I mean, a lot of scenes, though, I feel like she has a lot of stuff where she's just not compassionate and Mm. she has very, like, black and white views in life. I feel like, I can't remember specifics, but I feel like even a couple episodes we've seen, she said some stuff and I was like, Bev. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah. I guess she's like the conservative woman representation on the ship. I know. (laughs) She might be a Karen. No, but I think you're I know. But no. To quote, to, to quote Diana from this episode, no, no. <laughs> oh, poor Diana. Speaking of which, do yes. you have any words of wisdom from from Haven? So, um, I have to copy you, my dear friend. I have a words of wisdom that's like an anti words of wisdom. Ah, nice. Oh, yes, yes. Um, 
this one I was like, whoa. This is when I was like, I would never go to Haven on holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Haven woman, the leader, said uh, they were talking about the ship had not been responsive mm-hmm. and she called it hostile. And, and Picard kind of questioned that phrasing. Yep. And she said, failure to communicate is inherently hostile. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, as someone who belongs to a community where a lot of us go nonverbal quite often or are nonverbal, that's really concerning <laughs> and not good. <laughs> so, And also based on exactly what the reaction was when people found out right. it was a Torellian ship, no wonder they didn't want to say, hey, guys, just a bunch of Torellians in here coming in for a visit. Well, exactly. Yeah. What were they going to say? Yeah. They, wouldn't, they knew they'd probably be blown out of the sky immediately. So, yeah. Interesting. And then, of course, the human heart is too small to permit that now, uh, even though the conversation it came from was quite jumbled and confusing. I I did think there there is something kind of in that, you know, of like, if you could just accept more love mm-hmm. into your life, you would see how generative and expansive and infinite it is. Mm-hmm. And the human heart's just too small to permit that now. Mm. I like oh. that. How about you, friend? What were your words of wisdom? Well, interestingly, I had the same one you did, the failure to communicate one. And it was, I didn't have any particular insight on it. There was just something about that phrase that I was like, I want to write that down. I'm not sure why, yeah. but it feels it feels a little bit weird. Like it feels a little harsh. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, to me, like really stuck out in the yes. episode. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Shit. So I had from Troy, um, I know you care within those limits. Mm, that's a good one. Oh, I love that because that's so that's applicable. I even wrote down a a note to myself that I might steal this one because that's really useful, especially when dealing with emotionally immature people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it's true for a lot of emotionally immature people. It's like you're doing, you're feeling what you have the capacity to feel, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like you have to meet them where they're at with that. Mm -hmm. But they also have to like, accept that you know like yeah this is this is it (laughs) this is the limit that you have and within that limit i get where you're coming from and i know how you feel and you know exactly um i also had (laughs) this is when they were talking about the Torellians developing the virus um it makes one question the sanity of humanoid forms (laughs) and i was like Girl, I feel that on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean that's not the least. I mean that's not that's the least of things that make me question sanity. <laughs> but yeah, I had that one. Um, I I was loving Troy when she says humans constantly think one thing and say another, and then she yeah. also says there is such a thing as too much honesty with humans. Like her understanding, like her anthropological understanding of humans was really interesting and I was just and, and then there was what her mom said as well in that conversation an entire shipload of such inconsistency could drive one insane I loved that line mm-hmm. that was so good and it made me like I wasn't totally sure about about Lawaxana Troy from the beginning <laughs> I was kind of you know I was reserving judgment but when she I mean she's a lot she's a lot but when she said that I was like she also like is very validating of her daughter's experience. 
and yeah. like to understand to be, oh yeah, I bet that I bet that is really hard. That would drive me crazy. You know, I, I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, that's a good mom right there. That's <laughs> I also like the line that she had when Wyatt went to talk to her and she was, you know, being herself. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Can you like this is serious? Can you be serious for a minute? And she's like, I'm always serious. <laughs> it's just people how did she put it? She's like people people don't realize it because of the way I am but I'm always serious mm-hmm. and I was like that's kind of cool yeah you know yeah like she does seem like that type who is always kind of like actually watching and taking things in yeah. even though she seems like she's you know just a little airy being flamboyant and yeah exactly like not just as um she seems very self-involved mm-hmm. which she is to an extent but like she sees and takes in a lot more than people realize yeah. and I thought that was kind of cool yeah. kind of cool moment and then I, I have my two more favorite ones, but these were just just <laughs> for shits and giggles. But Data, could you please continue the petty bickering? I find it most intriguing, <laughs> which was great. Stop this petty bickering, all of you, especially you, mother. Could you please continue the petty bickering? I find it most intriguing. How can Classic. you not like it? And then, and then Picard, <laughs> I am not amused. <laughs> I had that one too. <laughs> it's just so good. It was too good. I have, that's all you need if you're a damned fool, but I don't remember <laughs> what it was from. The episode? I'm like, did I accidentally pull that over from a different I don't know. It sounds like something that episode? could have been said in here, but I... I'm not sure where. I literally don't know what it was in relationship to. Yeah. Well, did you have an episode rating? Uh, I did. Mm. <laughs> I'm quite happy with it, too. Okay. Because um, I almost was like, I was like, this is almost a woo-wee, but it's not quite there. <laughs> woo-wee! I want, I want to really conserve my woo-wees. So I was like, okay, it could, I could go back to an old rating. We don't always have to find a new one. Um, but then... I came up with legends like that are the spice of the universe. The spice of the universe, baby. Because <laughs> I was like, you know what? Yeah. This episode was the spice of the TNG universe. It was. Yeah. It's like a like nutmeg or something. Mm-hmm. Nice little, nice little spice. Yeah. <laughs> did you have an episode rating? I did. My episode rating, um, we already talked about it before, but unlike some people, I am in growth. And... I picked this one because I actually changed it. I said, unlike some episodes, I am in growth. So I I felt like this episode kind of demonstrated to me some like growth and like some, you know, yeah. like like the first, the first, I don't know, nine episodes. I was sometimes just kind of like getting frustrated and like, ugh, like I, I don't I'm almost like questioning why I liked this so much. <laughs> You know, and then I saw this one. I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I like Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, it was a much needed like relief mm-hmm. in the slog that is season one. Mm-hmm. Um, you need those little milestones to keep going to be like, OK, the show is worth mm-hmm. it. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. I really like that rating friend. I think that's very cute. Yeah. Well. Are we done? We're done. <laughs> 
I was about to end the show and then I was like, oh wait, what if he has more to say? No, no, I've, I, I know um, I've done that to you before, so don't worry. <laughs> well, and you same, owe me like, a few. <laughs> I, I always have more to say. Uh, all right, so I, I believe that uh, our next episode is episode 11, The Big Goodbye. <sighs> yes, I'm going to hate this episode. Is it is it the big? So the crew are trapped in the holodeck in 1941 San Francisco Fuck. being pursued by murderous gangsters. Oh shit, these are my I'm gonna least hate favorite it. episodes. I hate the fucking same. holodeck episodes. Oh, same. <gasps> but I will say, if I'm recalling correctly, I think this episode brings up some chilling and interesting questions about the holodeck mm. and creating life or sentience. Okay. That will become a pattern amongst the enterprise. Okay. Where I'm like, how many times have you guys unintentionally created sentient beings that you then just kind of are like, sorry, Oops. <laughs> bye. Oops. <laughs> yeah. So I think a uh, little spoiler alert, but I think something like that happens in this episode if it's one I'm thinking of. Okay. Okay. That'll be fun. So yeah. So Mike and I will be back being uh, grumpy about the episode but i like to think that's when we also do our best work that's usually when we have the most fun yeah yeah because then we get really silly and tell a lot of jokes stay off my lawn (laughs) 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 all right everyone see you next time we'll see you on the next one Bye. bye Thanks for joining us today on our mission, comrade. To keep this galaxy-class starship chugging along, we need your help. If you like the show, consider supporting us by leaving us a good review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. Follow us on Instagram, share us with your friends, promote us on social media, or become a financial supporter of the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash redshirtcollective. Now, get off my ship. 